Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be grilling Father Rich. What is it like <laughs> being a priest? Yeah, we're going to ask uh, Father Rich a lot of the questions that you have asked us. Like, what does a priest do all day? What are some of the struggles of living your life as a priest? And what are some of the unexpected uh, aspects of living in the clerical state? I've always said uh, it's an open book, you know, like I'm happy to give my testimony, but I'm a little nervous about these two guys asking me these questions. So let's get, let's get, let's begin, I guess. You're in the hot seat. back uh for another episode i'm i'm kind of excited i've got a few uh a few questions in my pocket <laughs> great yeah <laughs> this is like a whole episode of inquisitions i don't i don't know how in the world we got to this it's been a long day already in my priestly life <laughs> All right, it's about to get longer how much money do you take out of the thing? I mean, zero. So, you know, a lot of people have asked us, you know, and, and a lot of people, whether the young men discerning the priesthood, whether they're people who uh, just want to know who, you know, what the, what happens with the priest in their lives, what it actually is like being a priest, because it is a very unique vocation among all vocations, right? You know, everybody, lay people, uh, lay women, lay men, um, uh, consecrated women, religious, priests, monks, they all have a vocation. But I think the vocation as a priest, there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a lot of uh, unknowing about what priests actually do. So we're going to try to get into some of that today. Uh, ask Father Rich some of the questions that you've submitted to us. And let's see, um, you know, have him answer. So Father Rich, uh, yeah. thank you for being gracious and being willing to answer these questions. Well, in all sincerity, it's an honor, it's an honor because uh, it's an honor that I haven't pursued myself. It's something that God has certainly called me to. Um, and I really appreciate the fact that the seminary, the church, and my bishop has have affirmed that discernment. And I really wouldn't be here without them. So uh, you know, the helpful aspects of, of how someone becomes a priest and, and the relationships they're in uh, is everything. So I, I really uh, stand ready to serve every day. And I'm very, very blessed to be called to this way of life. And it really is a joy. So I'm, I'm happy to share the joy of the ministry with you guys today and all of our, all of our viewers and, and listeners. You're, you're a host and a guest at the same time. <laughs> and on the hot seat. Transcending universal realities. <laughs> so I do think that it's important to make the distinction that Father Rich is a diocesan priest. So, you know, the realities of the priest of maybe a religious order is going to be different because they're going to have some mm. particularities to whatever religious order um, or confraternity or whatever it is they're a member of. But Father Rich, Father Rich is a priest of the diocese of saint augustine and that's going to have a you know a different life than maybe a franciscan or a jesuit priest right so father rich i think the number one question people have of priests right is you know celibacy how do you live with celibacy day to day you know you're not devoid of the human chemical reactions that you know men have you're not so 
how do you live with being celibate day to day, uh, knowing that you're married to the church and not to a woman? You know, a while back, I, I turned to a, a brother priest who was an old, older brother priest. And, you know, I expressed to him, you know, after I got ordained and I was probably, I don't know, like maybe two years in at the time, maybe a year, year or two years in. And um, he said, you know, Rich, how you doing? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, I love the ministry. It's awesome. And he just kept on digging deeper and deeper and like looking in my eyes and like, no, but how are you doing? How are you doing? And he just kept on asking me the same question to the point where I'm like, well, you know, one thing is, is, you know, you don't really know celibacy in the seminary until you start living it. And it's a totally different reality. And I try to express that in, in not so many words uh, as being someone who's very brief uh, in commentary all the time. But like I, I just communicated that and it immediately turned into uh, riches in a vocational crisis, you know, and, and I wasn't saying that. You know, it, the truth is, is celibacy, you know, there's a number of people out there who say, oh, you know, that's not going to be the hard thing when you when you really live out your priesthood. What's going to be difficult is obedience when you're asked to do something that you may not want to do. Um, you know, that obedience would be more difficult for me. I've been very blessed in my assignments, not to say that they've all been rosy, but at the same time, you know, that that hasn't been a challenge for me. Uh, celibacy has been a challenge for me. You know, it, it has been a challenge, but it's a challenge that I meet with discipline. And the discipline of celibacy allows me to give of myself to an extent that would be absolutely impossible if I had a family. And the discipline of the celibacy that I'm called to is also an invitation in intimacy with Jesus Christ and his celibacy. He gives of his entire life in service of others and he does so to the point of loving, to the point of crucifixion, placing himself in harm's way. And I can't help but think of the celibacy of St. Maximilian Kolbe reflecting the celibacy of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, St. Maximilian Kolbe very easily expressed, I will give of my life so this father whose wife is mourning that he's in Auschwitz, his children that are mourning and crying and weeping that th their father is separated from them, would be able to return to them and be a father, be a biological father and help their children grow. And he so quickly gave of his life. Well, I look at celibacy in a similar way. Now, I'm not anywhere close to Maximilian Kolbe, certain nowhere close to Jesus, but I feel, I feel invited by both of them to live out this total gift of self. And celibacy is certainly the structures for me to grow continually in my masculinity and to discipline those movements that is in every single man. And I would be lying to you if I said, you know, I never struggle. You know, I would be absolutely lying to you. So to be truthful, yeah, it is a struggle, but it's a struggle that has produced a lot of fruit in ministry. And I want to just share a, a quick story. I was like two, three years in the priesthood at this time at my home parish, St. Elizabeth. And I remember one night, I, you know, by myself in my room, and I'm complaining to God like I normally do. And I'm like, Jesus, man, Lord, this celibacy thing just stays. I want to be like, you know, I want to have, you know, my wife or whatever. I want to have like lit. And then next thing you know, <laughs> I'm not even lying. Middle of the night, my phone rings emergency line, right? And I pick it up and it's this nurse who's calling on behalf of this elderly woman. So I said, I'll be over there shortly. Went, went out to the house, got into the, you know, went into the room, started speaking with her. And I sit on the edge of this 90-year-old lady's bed. And we're sitting there and we're having the deepest conversation. It was so beautiful. 
but I was on the edge of her bed right next to her and I was kind of slipping off the bed and I had her hand clasped to mine and I turned to her and I said, sweetie, you're going to have to scoot over just a little bit for me because if I fall off this bed, you're coming with me. And then she says, oh, well, what will all the ladies say at, ch at church? <laughs> it was just like the cutest thing that this, this older lady said, you know, you never lose that, right? You never lose that. And it was just such a beautiful experience, almost of Jesus saying like, yeah, you may, you may not have someone in your bed and you're living out celibacy, but look at these amazing moments of deep spiritual intimacy that you're sharing with people in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, another brother, big shout out to Father Tom Dillon from the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. I still remember this talk in, when he came back as a, as a cleric. Uh, to share in the seminary about celibacy, he said, you know, a number of people he'll receive in marriage counseling are struggling with intimacy. And he said, where my life, I am brought into the intimate levels of people's lives every single day. And there is an element of that that is very, very supportive to our overall emotional makeup and how we uh, experience joy in the midst of our, in the midst of our discipline, really. So I guess I'd, I'd kind of answer along those lines um, that, you know, celibacy is a discipline. It can be challenging at times, but it opens you up for the most fruitful ministry and intimacy with Jesus Christ, serving the mystical bride of his in such a beautiful way. Yeah. So I, I got a question um, to kind of follow that up. <clears throat> you know, you, you've had different assignments, you know, like you have an assignment now at a parish, you're a pastor. It's your first time doing that. You've been uh, a vicar, pastoral vicar. You've uh, been in school for years, uh, full time, and and then, you know, helping out at a parish. Do you find that? Do you find that the circumstances around your uh, your assignment? sometimes lend towards or against uh, a, a different kind of fight of, of the celibacy? Because, you know, I noticed there's a big change in you when, when you became a pastor, like I, I've, I've seen it. And so I, I'm wondering if, if it's more difficult to live celibacy in different circumstances than others, you know, I, I don't know if that's even a thing. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think if I didn't have the busyness of my life, you know, the fact that like my day, like I have to fight for my day off, right? Like I get one day off a week and I have to fight for it. If I don't fight for it, I'm easily consumed with messaging and questions and requests and, and people suffering, you know, everybody's suffering, you know, and then, See, but, and then uh, you know, Father Rich, I've talked to you on your days off so many times and it's not that you're fighting other people saying, don't call me, you're fighting your instinct to want to help other people you're fighting your instinct yeah. to keep on giving of yourself against your own self-care or your own self uh sustainability so i wanted to make that so people didn't think well he's trying to shut people out on that day off and that's a no, good, yeah and, and if a point. That, that's a, i'm glad that you clarified that because it's true i mean you know when somebody calls me with a severe issue or need like what am i going to do you know it's like if you're if your child if you're if it's your son or your daughter that's in a hospital and in really a rough spot, like you go, like there's no, there's no question, but that can become, you know, like an everyday thing. And I have to, I have to discipline my day off so that I am at the top of my pastoral care 
for people. So I know when I need to get away and get a breather. And the beauty of it too, is like my parishioners will say, father, you need to get away, right? You need to go get a breather, go on a retreat, go on a vacation. Um, and it's nice to hear because they see how much I am so passionate about, about what I do. But I, I do genuinely think to your question, Delacrosse, which I think is a great question. Um, there are, there are different, I guess, uh, missions that would be entrusted to you. So when I was first ordained, I was sent to one of the largest parishes in the diocese. And then on top of that, I was sent to a high school that was in need of, of greater marketing efforts and to build the enrollment and kind of create an, an energy around, uh, you know, boosting, you know, the, the student body um, at that time. And it was, it was fantastic. And it was just enough work for me to do where I was busy and I was locked in and I was focused on my goals and, and working and collaborating with the people that I was with. And it was really a, fa a fabulous joy. So I find if, I, if I'm busy and if I'm doing work that I'm absolutely engaged in, namely just being a priest, I'm going to be happy. If I'm, you know, if I enter into laziness, if I just, if I'm, you know, trying to, you know, if I play video, I don't play video games, but if I'm playing video games every single evening, like that would get really old. And, um, you know, and certainly if I didn't have the work that I'm doing right now, I, I think it would probably lead me to get into a little yeah. bit more of a struggle, I think. Yeah. I remember one time I was with uh, Father T, right? Tetlow. And he was my first vocation director. And that's how I met you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, I don't think you were with us that day, but we, we had a really packed day. I was just kind of following him around and watching him be a priest. And we went to Chinacolo, the community. We served a lot of uh, people in need there. Um, you know, there were some other events and things that we went to. There was, you know, him in the confessional while I prayed. And, you know, he's just a high energetic guy. And it, we came back to the rectory and we went, you know, our separate ways. And he said, you know, like, how could I have a wife? Like I've been, it, I've received so much love from God today. I can't possibly quite share it with a woman, right? Like, it's just like, and I think it, it comes from, you know, at least the way I saw it was it came from the, the ability to serve in persona Christi and seeing with Christ's eyes, the ministry of his church and, and how he calls you to serve those that he directs you towards and the love that you see him share with them through that and and it fills you back up you know when you see that it fills you back up and it allows you to be super happy but also filled so much with the holy spirit he's just like i can't possibly have a wife ryan you know <laughs> like you know that's what i i saw that day and that really gave me a glimpse into you know the priesthood that i had i had not had before that he's he was so good at doing that wasn't he i mean just yeah. incredible at inviting you into his priesthood and his day-to-day going yeah. to the hospital, going to Chinacolo, you know, visiting a home, a house blessing, you know, whatever it was, he would invite you in. And that was where I started to see a glimpse of priesthood as well, uh, without a doubt. And, and what, an, what an important step that was uh, for me as, you know, too, is just, yeah. you know, wow, I, I never realized how beautiful the priesthood, you know, is. And I, you know, I'm so glad that you brought that up, Delacrosse, because there are many, many days where, you know, you put in a 12, a 14, a 16 hour day, and then you come home and your heart is so full and you've been talking so much with everybody that really all you want to do is kind of sit there in silence in your chapel or just sit there on the couch and just kind of review the day with God and just say, 
wow, like, thank you for that. But you don't want to really talk about it. You don't want to talk about the details of everything or kind of unpack everything. You just want to sit and revel in the fact like, wow, God, you've called me to this yeah. way of life. And I'm just beyond grateful. I'm just yeah. so grateful for it. So yeah, that's, one of the, that's one of the questions that a lot of people have is, you know, and I think we've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but what is an average day in your life like? What is your schedule like? Maybe on a weekday and maybe on a Sunday, right? Because there's obviously going to be differences on a Saturday for that matters. But yeah. you know, what is the day in the life, just from a schedule and a logistical standpoint? I mean, we don't have to get into all the details, but what's your, what's your itinerary book look like for an average day as a priest? And then after that, after that, I want to ask you about what practices make you healthy as a priest, you know? That, that's a, I think that's a really important question. And I definitely want to unpack that because you can definitely develop unhealthy, uh, you know, things in the process of priesthood and being busy. Um, so to your question, it's different for every priest because it's always associated with your assignment. So I'll share, I'll share my, my experiences. Um, so typically, you know, let's say at my first assignment when I had the large parish and then um, St. Joseph Academy, wake up early morning, say six o'clock, get a little bite, um, you know, coffee, uh, hit the showers, get dressed, shoot over for the 7 a.m. mass, finish that mass within a 20 minute window, hop in the car, drive up, celebrate a mass roughly just prior to eight. You got to keep that mass under 20 minutes as well. Get the school started. You might have some administrative meetings, uh, depending on your day. You'd visit your theology classes, have conversation. If there's counseling, there may be a kid who's suicidal, a kid who's uh, really struggling after a breakup. You could have a kid that's been a behavior problem and, and you're trying to come at it from a pastoral element of it as opposed to just immediate discipline. Find out what's going on in the kid's life and, and give them an opportunity. Uh, confessions throughout the day, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, facilitating prayer. And then afterwards, if you have spiritual direction sessions after school, I might shoot over to the mission grounds, hear confessions, spiritual direction for like a half an hour to an hour per person. Um, at that time, I served a lot of the staff at Our Lady of La Leche, Mission Nombre de Dios, which is a national shrine. We're actually celebrating on Tuesday the Nativity of Mary, which is also uh, the, you know, the birthday really of when, you know, Father Lopez and companions first came on the shores, 1565, erected a cross and established the first Catholic community in the United States of America. Uh, so great history there. So I would spend a lot of time there and then come back to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. You know, there may be something going on in the evening at a church like RCIA um, or a youth oriented uh, effort during the weekday. Um, you know, so you might have like youth group or, or another bereavement group where people, um, you know, were, were sick or, or excuse me, when a loved one died and they're still grieving. Um, I still remember coming back to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and there was a really cool ministry that was started by Maria Dittis. Big shout out to her. She had two, two Tuesday and it was all these kids. It was like all these two, three-year-old girls learning how to, do ballet poses, like the first four poses. And um, so I would, I would come and knock on the door and I'd knock her. And then they would say, come in. And I would open up the door and I would say, my fair ladies. 
And then they would all do their like curtsy. And then I would say, what's the first position? They would do the first position. I'd go through all the positions. And then I would say, what's the Father Richard position? And all the kids would go like this. They go. <laughs> so now these, now these girls are like, you know, in middle school. Yeah. And I still ask them, I'm like, what's the Father Richard position? And they're still like. So, you know, like that. And then, you know, evening prayer. And then you like go out to, to dinner. There might be a dinner or something like that. Or, you know, a, a family that wants you to come over to their house, bless their house. Um, you know, you go. How often does it house. happen that you go over to somebody's house and uh, you hate the food? That has never happened. Thank God. <clears throat> never happened? Nope. Really? I, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm trying Is to that think. some kind of like a special grace granted to priests by... <laughs> you know what I'm, you know what the I'm holy spirit you know, was, you've uh, never you've never been invited I'm over highly for allergic. Like, wow. i'm highly allergic to cats and there was a dear brother priest of mine uh father pervase from pakistan and he would come over and we'd work on english and so he's a he's a good buddy and we went over to this house and this cat like jumped up on the table and started licking the cake and they it started <laughs> and it started eating the cake and that woman and the lady just tried to cut around it and she dropped a piece of cake on his on his dish and his face was so hilarious so that's that that's i guess like the only time that i'm like oh yeah, i don't know about that um yeah everybody else i mean really for the most part uh, you know pretty good pretty good food the the other one is uh, father leon when i visited Ooh, i was Delacroix. just about to say that <laughs> really bro yes i i, I visited delacross when the chicken he was freezer? on assignment yeah, the chicken. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was, was everything, man. And 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 he was he was Spanish, so his day revolved around a big lunch and a nap. And he was probably in his seventies. Uh, beautiful priesthood. I mean, he was standing up uh, for black people. You know, during this the the southern, you know, issues that were going on there with racism and inequities and. And KKK you know, a, came in and burnt like a burnt. cross on the front of the rectory, and he's like oh, yeah. out on the street saying, "I am the pastor." But let's uh let's back up here because I was uh you know I know this is about the priesthood, but it is a funny story. I I was actually <laughs> stationed there, you know, for the summer, and I worked literally right behind the church, and I respected this guy enormously. Oh yeah, um, and and so his big thing was lunch and you be there for lunch. And so I would at the table, uh -huh, sit at the table and he would spill food all over his yeah, he would, shirt and he would go get the yeah. food out of the freezer and it tasted funny. And, Oof. and I went and looked at it and it was all like two years old. I'm like, what oh. is going on? And so, but he would just chow down on this stuff. And I remember um, I made a move, you know, to try to tell him like, Hey, you know, I've got, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to work with my dad on a project and, you know, and I'm taking my lunch break to do that. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't take lunch off. <laughs> you don't take lunch off. Like, this is the time where we sit and talk and I'm like, Oh my God. Uh, we, we both suffered. I, I have a very strong, vivid memory of both of us suffering at the lunch table together and looking at each other. But he was kind of he wasn't always aware of like what was on everybody else's plate. He would just be eating food would be all over the place. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah no, for sure. For sure. Napkins. God so I don't want to I don't want to lose Delacrosse's question either. But uh, what I already lost it. Well, <laughs> No, I remembered it for you. I wrote it down. So what are some of the, I guess, the challenges or the dangers of the, the priestly life that 
can settle in day to day? What are some of the unhealthy practices that priests really have to struggle with, fight against? Mm -hmm. So I think I think it comes down to uh, you know the the personal needs that you have, and your personal needs cannot be compromised by other people's wants. So what I always what I always try to differentiate between is okay, is this somebody's want? They want me to come over socially. It's different if I'm going over to somebody's house to bless their house, but I can't go over and bless their house and it's gonna take four hours or five hours to, to go do that, right? So I try to do my, my house blessings throughout the day or at lunch or maybe on the weekend so that it's, I'm not occupying that amount of time because I can't respond to everybody's wants and then my own personal needs for prayer, for healthy eating, for exercise and for my own personal friendships like if i don't have time for that i will become my well-being my equilibrium you know my overall mental health my spiritual health will suffer so you have to you have to recognize as a priest because it's very easy especially when you're newly ordained to get sucked into everybody's wants and needs yeah so you have to differentiate from, okay, this person is presenting a want. This person is presenting need. I will respond to the needs. If I can, I'll respond to your wants, but not at, at the expense of my own personal needs. And you, without a doubt, need to have a good, healthy diet, a good, healthy exercise uh, plan, good, healthy friendships. You know, like you guys are, I, I love that we get to get to get, you know, we get together quarterly and we get to have time together. Like that, that means a lot to me personally, because just the friendship aspect of it. Yeah. You you're know, outgoing, and, you know, like you're an outgoing person. And so relationships for you uh, are a catalyst for your, your mental health. That's a catalyst for your spiritual health. Um, and it's the same way with me too. You know, my wife knows that I need to go, out with my friends and hang out with them because, you know, it, I come back a better father, you know, that I can't be locked into the home. Whereas some people might need just quiet time with a book or, you know, right, right. <laughs> yeah, like, so yeah. I, I think from a wellness standpoint, now that you're mentioning that, it makes a lot of sense that, that the plan should be something that would, would revolve around what, what it is that, that makes you, you know, happy. You know, I think and, it's, yeah, it's really wise. Like you said, that you have to balance your spiritual, your physical health, because I mean, even God, the father creator almighty had to take a day off and have to, he chose to, right. Yeah. That's a model that, that he gave to everyone to follow. And yeah. if, you know, if your parishioners and the people who depend on you don't expect, they expect more from you than they do from God, they're going to be you know, let down. Okay. I mean, you have to have, like, I noticed like, you know, we'll be talking where you haven't had a vacation and six, seven months, or even a day off really to speak of. And you're starting to get a little frayed around the edges. And mm -hmm. I mean, Lord knows what I would be like if I didn't have a day or two off and, you know, I get weekends off. You don't, you know, so yeah. it's, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, it's also thank God I have, thank God I have friends like you, you know, you guys that, that call me out and, you know, like, and I still remember how many times have Delacrosse like threw me in a plane and like flew me out to go hunting or fishing and, you know, yeah, I celebrate mass, but I'm going to celebrate mass anyway. And, 
and it's just nice to have vacation time, you know? I do get low-key jealous when Delacrosse is sending me pictures from Colorado and I'm like, I'm working right now. <laughs> you know? But it's all good. It makes I'm happy. Um, but no, like in all seriousness, I'm so blessed. Much like, you know, Delacrosse, the way you were describing Jen, Jen really motivates you to go out. Like she knows yeah. that you come back a stronger man, a stronger husband, a stronger dad when you have time to, to spread your wings and be free and go do yeah. different things. And the same thing for my parishioners here, like they do it all the time. And, and I am very blessed because not every priest has a blessing in their parishioners who are just saying, Hey father, why don't you go out golfing today? Like, why don't you go out and, and go relax, you know, a little bit. They're constantly motivating me to do that type of stuff, whether I'm taking that up or not, it depends. But, uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of like a life in the day of a priest and how easily you can work from seven o'clock in the morning till four, five, six o'clock, seven o'clock at night and not have anything to eat. And then you're eating a whole pizza by yourself, you know, and drinking a beer or two before you before you start winding down. And that is not healthy. It's very easy to happen, yeah. um, you know, to a priest easily. Yeah, especially when we're staying with you in your rectory on the talk show. Uh, hey, I, I got another question. Um, how do you, because like, you know, I mean, I, I guess you can liken your parish to a family. Um, as a father, uh, you know, I deal with conflict in different ways, um, you know, with, with different uh, kids and, and situations. And sometimes I just lock my bedroom door and tell them to go away. Uh, so how do you, um, how do you deal with conflict? Like, cause really? I got to come out. Did I just like go off? The you, we, we don't yeah, see we lost. your face anymore, but I could hear your voice. All right. Wow. Our viewership just went up too. Crazy. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Gosh. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's I mean, great. I'm sure it's you a... don't, I'm sure you don't like everyone like, interpersonally that you've ever met with at your parish how do you deal with people that you don't like with that you don't like that you butt heads with or the i guess the needs and the disagreements of others our numbers are now going down because <laughs> I'm, back. <laughs> I'm back um great question <laughs> if you're not <laughs> yeah if you're listening in delacross is going in and out of the feed um so no doubt. Like there's going to be personalities that you have the proclivity to like, yeah, I want to hang out with this person all the time. I can, I, you know, I would love to have this person around the office all the time, you know, but that at the same time, you're also working with personalities that may actually require more time to work with. And, you know, I can, I can say that, yeah, there are people that are more challenging to love and, and to pastorally care for than others the worst people are the people who are, you know, nameless and they'll send criticism in unsigned letters and yeah. they won't open up conversation or dialogue with you. Like those are just impossible people that you can't work with. Right. Where I actually welcome critical voices because it gives me perspective that I may not have. So I actually appreciate people like that. Yeah. Um, and as you get to know people, their makeup is just different than yours. Now, would it be somebody that I'd be like, hey, let's go uh, to Texas and go on a hunt and fishing trip and, and go have a blast with? Probably not. Like our personalities wouldn't be wanting to do the same thing. 
you know, like, like Jen has to put up and, and Sheil has to put up as well when Delacross and I could just talk gibberish for like three hours straight and just laugh hysterically and not make any sense at all. There's no not many people talking about, I have no idea what you're talking about. There's not many people that you could do that with, but you know, so it, it can be a challenge. Um, and certainly I think certain other like priests may deal with that in a different way. Um, but for me, I just kind of embrace people wherever they are as, as best as I can. Um, and just try to appreciate the people that are here because many of these people that at first you really like, Oh my gosh, what a pain in the butt. This, this person is right. turns into like somebody who's very passionate about the mission of the church and, and is a very good advocate. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, does. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's probably a lot of people out there that you should know that you know, your priest might not like you. So <laughs> quit being a pain in the butt, you know? <laughs> you know, I think another question that's kind of like that is, you know, you have to deal with some, you have to deal with the things that people tell you in confession. You have to deal with a lot of people dying. When people are dealing with tragedy, they call you in when there's a child or a person in the prime of their life that gets is cut down young you have mm -hmm. to deal with that you know and i know like a lot of uh first responders and police officers they develop a lot of um psychological trauma from having to deal with the trauma of so many people right one person you have a couple traumas in your life and it's a it's a lot of baggage but first responders priests and police officers and soldiers have to deal with their own trauma and the traumas of others how do you deal with that how do you put that into perspective and how do you handle having so much kind of I guess, darkness and trauma that is outside of what would normally occur to a regular person. You got to have your spiritual director. You know, you have to have somebody you can talk to because if you're dealing with it by yourself, it will, it will mess with you and it will cripple you, especially when you're responding to abuse cases. Um, you know, like I, I worked at Wolfson's Children's Hospital and the, the most difficult thing to look at is when a baby is beaten by a, uh, by a parent or by somebody and you see, you know, like, uh, you see a kid's head, you know, like all messed up baby. Yeah. That type of stuff will mess with you, man. And, um, and you gotta be able to talk to people about that and you gotta be able to process the anger. You gotta be able to process the, you know, cause you start getting really, um, you know, it messes with you, you know, like that you type of stuff. Him out. Exactly. You exactly. Know? Exactly. And you've got, you know, and, and he, yeah. you know, the, both, the two times that that happened to me, they, the, you know, the guys were in custody and stuff and horrible, um, you know, responding to people getting killed or, or, you know, suicide cases. Um, they, it, those circumstances, unfortunately, I've been so immersed in them. I've, worked at the morgue. I've worked in prep rooms in the funeral homes. I've seen death a lot um, for a long time now. So I guess, I don't know if I'm, if I've, you know, accumulated a sense of uh, familiarity with it. Maybe, I don't know. I, I don't feel uncomfortable around it. The thing, the thing that messes with me that I've got to talk about is when people manipulate others and they, and they bold face lie to them and they string them along. And, and they manipulate their will, you know, like I've had to step in uh, with people pursuing other, you know, other people for marriage and they're manipulating their will. 
um, and they're lying or they're, you know, they're cheating and, and, there's a number of things like that. Like that really, really bugs me. And then I have to leave a counseling session like that to go talk with the kindergarten class in religious education, you know, or, or go visit the second graders and bring them donuts and try to be like, Hey everybody, you know? Oh, so man. it's like, it could be, it could be challenging. Like I had, I had a meeting. It's gotta be I'm, just so chaotic almost to deal with, you know, dealing with children, happy and donuts and then, you know, a suicide or, you know, infidelity and dissolving marriages i mean that's got to be like a almost like a spiritual car crash where you're just getting whiplash from time to time mm -hmm. yeah there's there's days where i can adjust and and switch gears pretty quickly like you know like i i can i really feel like i'm switching gears okay meeting this next person and i have like the the discipline within myself to only to stop at empathy um, which I've learned a lot. If, if there's any, you know, seminarians who, I know there's a bunch of seminarian brothers that listen to the show. Um, and there's a, there's a number of people who are discerning the priesthood and discerning ministry as a way of life. Even if you're, if you're looking at lay ministry, there's a lot of lay ministers out there, especially youth ministers. Please read the doctoral dissertation of Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. It helped me out tremendously. She wrote on the problem of empathy so that is the title of edith stein's doctoral dissertation once again on the problem of empathy you can and get that at ics publications who are the official uh, uh distributor and publisher of the works of the carmelite order so ics publications look them up and you can find that work there i know that one for sure oh that's outstanding random um, <laughs> so you know she helped me so much because as an Italian, we get very emotional and we kind of lock in our heart and, you know, the, the blended lines between empathy and compassion take over and you begin suffering with people. But that's where real ministry stops. When you start suffering with people, you have to be on a stable ground of prayer. And, you know, there are occasions even still after being nine years in, in the clerical life of ministering to people where I still get sucked into compassion and I begin to emote, you know, what, what's being transferred. Um, so I have to take time. I've got to go for a rosary walk. I've got to go to the chapel. I've got to go into adoration. I've got to pray my breviary or go out to the beach for a sunrise or a sunset or something and just kind of clear, clear myself, clear the, clear the, you know, and refocus. Um, because it, it can be, it can be tough, man, shifting, uh, into these different occasions. But if you're prayed up and you're really in a good spot and you're receiving the Eucharist and you got your breviary going well, um, you could shift pretty well. Um, but when you hit trauma, go to your spiritual director, talk to someone, even if it's just a close friend. I know I have my venting sessions with uh, Jen and, and Ryan when, when we get yeah. together. Yeah. So I think, you know, shifting gears, like you said, about shifting gears. Here's a question I think maybe a little bit lighter, give you a, an emotional break here that I, a lot of people have is, um, when do you wear your, you know, your collar shirt? When do you wear your priestly clothes and how often do you not wear them? So do you purposely not wear them when you go to the grocery store to a baseball game or a basketball game? You know, what do, I think a lot of people think that priests wake up and every day they have the same outfit and that's it. They don't even own, you know, a basketball jersey or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, when do you make those decisions and, and do you ever try to blend in and purposely not wear the collar? 
Yeah, you uh, you hit the nail on the head because you know that about me. I definitely have my basketball jerseys and my and my basketball shorts. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and, and you're talking you're talking to a guy. You know, when I went through Ave Maria University, like I had the perspective of you know a priest should wear his clerics or really at that time in my life his cassock every day, and you know you should be visible. And there's something to say about that, like without a doubt, there is something, something to say about that. But when you start, <clears throat> when you start ministering to people, um, there's an element of that that's helpful when you're wearing a collar. But then at times, especially in the secular world, when everybody will associate your priesthood with, um, you know, pedophilia, you know, drunk, maybe, you know, um, a different lifestyle that that's not good because they remember this scandal or that scandal. It may not be the very, very best way to begin the conversation. Um, I definitely, uh, you know, and you guys know this about me, you know, I'll, I'll put on civvies a lot when I'm going out. Not that I'm ashamed of my priesthood at all, but I love having conversations with people that ultimately lead because we are in America that ultimately leads to, oh, so Rich, what do you, what do you do? And I have had some of the most incredible pastoral moments in my life. I've been there. I've been a, to some of those. I've seen it. it and it happens to me all the time. And I'm just so grateful to God because um, people can just be themselves. Because on, on the flip note, like that's the negative way of looking at inter, interchange out in the public. On, on a good note, like you're walking around you know, Publix or whatever, or grocery store like Vons or, or Kroger or, you know, Piggly Wiggly. And you're walking around and people will see you and they'll say, oh, good morning, Father. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Father. Oh, Father, how are you? Oh, Father, good to see you. And it's all Yo, stuff Father, like, what's up? <laughs> or a hey, priest, a hey, priest, what Boy. are you doing? You know, and it's, you know, it's not, it, it's not exchange at a deeper level. It's, it's very molto formale. Like it's very, very formal. It, it, it doesn't enter into a conversational nature. Um, one of my favorite, if I could share this one story, which I, I really, I don't think I've shared. I don't even know if you guys know the story. <clears throat> I was coming, I was flying into San Diego, got in super, super late. And I picked up an Uber from the airport and I hop in the Uber and this guy from the moment he picked me up, cursing, talking, talking against you know, women, um, just vile, vile conversation. And I did not say a word the entire time. He just kept on talking and talking and it was vile and just nasty and horrible. And in the coordinates, I'm being dropped off at the church. So as we pull, <laughs> as we pull in <laughs> to the church, he looks at me and he's like, uh, you know, what are we, what are we doing here? And I said, well, I live here, my brother. <laughs> and he said, um, you're a priest? And I said, yeah. He's like, I'm so sorry. And I said, listen, man. I said, you should probably be very mindful of how you talk to people. And he says, yeah, I, I will. I'm, I'm sorry. I said, hey, man, I forgive you. But I think this is a wonderful thing that God's provided to you tonight so god bless i'll be praying for you and have a good night and he left right so it's just like things like that that would never happen you know how many conversations have i had with people where they they say 
If I would have known you were a priest, I would have never talked to you. That happens to me all the time. Well, I all think, I, I think, you know, if, if I think there's people like, cause I've been with you where, you know, we were in Vegas at a convention, uh, that NAB and national we, association of broadcasters, broadcasters. Right. So, yeah, so we're, we're there. Um, you know, we have a, we have a really good time, uh, and and we were at a at a I forget the name of the game, but it's really cheap to play. It's kind of fun, you know. We were hanging out with these people. What card am I thinking of? What's that? <laughs> what game? Yeah, I thought you had the I, casino I think it was like from roulette uh, or something like that, where you could bet on red or something and black. I think you're right. I think it was roulette. And and we were just having fun. I mean, we weren't get we were gambling like a cheap table. It was a dollar bet, you know, and um. And we, we stayed there. We had a lot of fun with these people and, and we're leaving and it's late, you know, as you don't realize how late it is sometimes and it's late. And lo and behold, I'm like looking for him, hanging out with some of the other guys and gals that were there. And I'm, I'm like, where did, where did father rich go? And they're, they're like, he's a, he's a priest. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. And we look around and he's over there praying over some guy <laughs> at the slot machines, you know, <laughs> and, and they're talking and, and literally, like the next day, we go to the pool, and and the pool's closed, right? I don't know why. And then we, so we decide, okay, we're gonna go have a beer. So we go to this bar, we have a beer. A friend calls me from a Catholic organization. And he's like, hey, <laughs> you know, I don't want to name them. I know, don't. But name uh, and so I'm like, yeah, come see us, whatever. So we're talking, right? Not even five minutes into this, this guy is like, just getting all into father rich to the point where i mean he was like crying you know later just because the guy was such a jerk and it was all over him not wearing his priestly garb and i'm like telling the guy like dude we were going to the pool you know (laughs) like we were going to the pool so if you're one of those people and i think this is a dynamic that has changed generationally that needs some explanation because yeah there was a generation in our church that they wore jeans and they were, they tried to be cool and relevant and all this other garbage. And I think they destroyed a lot of what the church could have built up. However, we're, we're in a day and age where, you know, if, if your ministry father and God's granted this to you in your ministry, if you're able to reach people in this particular manner and you feel the, the need to do it, like, who are we to tell you that, you know, you're, you're a horrible priest for going to the pool and not going up and changing and then go, you know, I mean, it, you get to the point where there's a lot of people that have been affected by this that are still kind of hitting that drum. You know, I always, I always think that, you know, obviously I think it's great when priests do wear their clerics out in public as opposed to civilian clothes. Mm -hmm. But I also understand why there's times where like, look, I just want to have a dinner and I don't, I, you know, need a little time off. But whenever someone gets really kind of militant about it and they're like, oh, any priest who wears, you know, regular clothes is, you know, Vatican II modernist heretic. I just think of the, the walk to Emmaus where our Lord at that, you know, he did not even show himself in his his resurrected form. He showed himself in a form that was, mm. you know, um, very, I guess, approachable to these people. And I think there's a really good analogous thought there that our Lord also used kind of dressing down to be able to be a pastoral tool. So, mm-hmm. you know, is it is it the good gardener, the homeless, yeah. the you know, the poor? 
It's true. Saint Martin, the homeless man in Saint Martin. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of times where our Lord has appeared or allowed himself to be seen in something less than the full glory of the second person of the Trinity for a reason. So if you're on priests or and if you're watching, you know, something on YouTube where they say any priest who doesn't wear his collar all the time is a modernist heretic, tell them to shut up. Shut up. You know? <laughs> and and you know, you know what's interesting too is like many of these people have like such strong opinions about what priests should be, but they wouldn't have the courage at all to become one. Right. or a sister right you know like be you know maybe you should have become a priest you know like well, no vocation maybe you director would have them because they'd see the imbalance in their personality oh it's just it's it's crazy you, you know, know the how other, nasty people can be sometimes the other thing too when i lived in dc i went to bethesda with a priest for lunch you know and he was working right i mean it was like going to the parish picking him up i saw his new you know rectory in the parish and give oh let's go get get a bite to eat right so we go get a bite to eat there, there were people spitting at this guy, spitting at him, mm -hmm. you know? I'm like, I, w I wouldn't, I, I mean, after a while, it would get kind of old, you know, for me. I'd be like, all right, you know, I'm not going to go. And, and let me tell you, when you go to a place where, you know, people are having some drinks or you are you go to a place and, like, people are out at a nice dinner, whatever, and they, and they see you in your clerics, I mean, like, you're a target. Right? Yeah. And you're going to get sucked into a conversation that will go nowhere. Yep. Yeah. And then people say, oh, well, you need to be a heroic priest and you need to stand up and are the saints are willing to be martyred. That's not martyrdom. Come on. No. That's, 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 uh, you know, harassment. that's harassment. <laughs> it it's different. Harassment. You're not denying the cross harassment. You know, it's all right. So all I think it. one last topic is that people have asked is, you know, you sin. You're a priest, but you sin too, just like everyone else does. You're imperfect, right? Um, so how often do priests, you know, go to confession? How do you manage to keep yourself in a state of grace? Uh, what happens if a priest is not in a state of grace, is in a state of moral sin, but still celebrates mass? You know, is the, the uh, Eucharist still valid, right? What are some of the scenarios around the actual, the life of, you know, the poor sinner in the priesthood? Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, my recommendation, something that I try to follow very sincerely is like a, every three weeks or so, like every month at least, um, that I need to go to confession if I'm struggling and, and, you know, I'm overcompensating because I'm going through a lot or something like that, or I'm, I'm you know, really challenged in some way and I'm sinning a lot more, um, you know, I'll definitely go more frequently, um, and it's, it's tough, man. I mean, you have to make it a discipline to go to confession monthly because it's very, very easy to get sucked into the work. And then you look at the, you look at the calendar and you're like, it has been a month and a half. It's been two months since my last confession. And I'm sure there's brothers out there right now that have, that have, it's, they haven't been to confession in years, you know, or maybe it's a full year and they don't go until the retreat. You know, we have annual retreats. I'm sure there's guys out there that, that, you know, especially when it comes to the inner workings of the apostles, you know, saying who's the greatest, you know, there could be a lot of, of in inner kind of, uh, you know, turmoil where it's like, do you want to ask your neighboring priest to go to confession? You know, um, for me, I'm very blessed. I've got a couple of priests that I, I absolutely love. And I, so do some priests maybe avoid going to confession because they don't want to, you know, for political reasons, allow the neighboring yeah. priest to have I don't a leg up go, on I don't want to go to my, I don't want to go to my brother, you know, uh, 
in my own diocese. Like some guy, and, and that's cool, man. Like, you know, I understand that. Just go, like, go, go to your neighboring diocese, develop a friendship with a guy in the, in the neighboring diocese. Cause yeah, maybe disorder. some of your sinfulness is related to the presbyterate that you're in. That's yeah. very likely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> very likely. So what you're saying, all priests don't get along with each other. <laughs> we are human. We are very human. Um, no, I mean, like, it, that's, that's life, man. It's life. It's the people you work closest with. You're going to be critical of the thing you're most passionate about, right? So mm -hmm. you're going to fall into those packed pockets. You got to go to confession, right? Humble yourself. Maybe go to a brother priest that, you know, you be humble. But, you know, like when Timmy and I get together, we go to confession to each other. Yeah. Olita, you know, like he, he's such a good brother. Um, you know, there's, there's other brothers outside of the diocese that I feel very, very comfortable with, you know, going to confession. Any? Um, I just think it's a, it's a different, it's like, I always think of the, the story of JP2, you know, I'm going to show you a picture of JP2. Right there. Yeah. Hello, Father Richard. <laughs> so, so John Paul, you know, like with that priest that lost his faculties and he's like begging outside of the church and JP2 finds out about him and he brings him up to the papal apartment and has him hear his confession. Like, that's just, man, what a saint. Yeah. Really? I never heard that yeah. story. Oh, it's such a cool story. So, you know, yeah, like we've, we've got to humble ourselves. You know, think about having to sit there and listen to the Pope's uh, confession. Like, I, I think sometimes, like, what if Bishop Estevez came to confession to me? <laughs> like, you know, I'd kind of feel, I'd kind of feel a little nervous, you know? Um, would, yeah. You know, it's, it's just human. It's human stuff. But I know, especially as it relates to our sinfulness, Ecclesia Suplet, the Holy Spirit, the church will provide, the Holy Spirit provides, you know, and, and, you know, in these circumstances, I just think it's best that we humble ourselves and avail ourselves to the regularity of the sacrament of reconciliation. Right now, I'm in need of going to confession. I'm trying to nail down some time with our boy, Father Tetlow, so I can get to confession. He's my regular go-to. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, I would, I would and, definitely And since we're on sacraments, uh, Vinny wants to know, he's a first holy communicant here. And I got to hear his first confession too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, he wants to know when, when transubstantiation occurs, is there a zap in your fingers that you can feel? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are moments where you are drawn into the mystical yeah, I but it, it happens at different, it happens at different moments. It's like whenever I celebrate baptism, I'll be at a, a moment where I've never been so deeply hit. Um, and then I'll just start tearing up and, and I'll just be so present mystically to what God's doing. Same thing at mass, my sacristan who knows me very, very well, big shout out to our Patreon, uh, Christian Erasmus. Christian awesome, knows man. me so well, he immediately, he's like, he's like, you were really hit very deeply there. That <laughs> happened. And he'll like ask me about it, you know, and then I'll open up my heart and, and just say like, yeah, I, you know, when I extended my hands or at this part of the Eucharistic prayer, yeah, it just became so clear, you know, and, and uh, so different times, uh, certainly at the epiclesis, when I extend my hands over the gifts, I haven't, I haven't felt zaps yet, but <laughs> I, I have been moved very deeply in the Holy Spirit. Um, when the parish came open, St. John Paul II, where I'm now the pastor, 
when I received an email transmission that this parish came open, I was in San Antonio preaching a mission. And I was discerning, like, is God calling me to the mission fields of being online and, and you know, going around and, and doing these missions? I yeah, you were bent out email. of shape that week. We were golfing that week. And I remember, uh, yeah, you were... You were not carrying your end of the golf course, man, because you're you're all you're all on discernment, like thinking about what you're doing. Della Cross, I, I know, and I couldn't stop. To, I know, I feel bad for you guys because you have to deal with my extroverted discernment. And I'm like, what do I do? Yeah. Well, I was just mad. I was just upset because you were all discerning and talking about whether you should be a missionary or a pastor, and Della Cross has spoken us in golf. <laughs> Delacross has this unbelievable ability to just tune everything out and just like hyper focus on golf. It's very, very good. He really does. That's called but, it's called booze. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I when I opened up that email, I had like an electrical shock through my spine, dude. I just knew that I needed to put my name in for for this parish, and I'm so blessed to be here. Um, so yeah, there's moments like that for sure, where you just really feel zapped by the Lord, um, and directed and, and influenced certainly, certainly. So yeah. then the last part of that question is what happens if a priest is not though in a state of grace mm-hmm. are the sacraments that he, um, performs, are those still valid? Ecclesia suplet, right? The church supplies in that same, in that same respect there, there, the efficacy and the substance of transubstantiation, like the, the, effective body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ is still there, even though a priest may be celebrating in mortal sin or really completely doubting uh, the presence of Jesus. Look how many Eucharistic miracles have taken place with people who have doubted at the altar. Mm -hmm. And Jesus transformed not only through transubstantiation, but literally a transformation of the accidents of the transubstantiated presence of jesus christ under the appearance of bread and wine the the, yeah exactly the accents of the actual bread turned to true flesh and blood so check out eucharistic miracles if you've never heard that before type in eucharistic miracles in google there's some awesome books out there lanciano is one there's another one in kasha italy um where you know a priest took the host and he was going to visit a sick person and just kind of threw jesus into his breviary not into a pics, not with any type of reverence. And, you know, it, it turned the pages to blood uh, that the host was next to. And it transubstant, it, it, the accidents changed to flesh and blood and is on display in the church of St. Rita underneath in the tomb area. Really, really powerful. But there's Eucharistic miracles all over the place, Brazil, all over the world uh, that have happened throughout time and are still on display and have been scientifically analyzed and show that they're all of the same blood type and of the same tissues of the heart of the main aorta of the heart, which is pretty fascinating stuff that they would all, all over the world, be that same type of tissue and that same we type should, of blood type. We should do a We've show done it. on that. We have. We have. Five, five unbelievable but true miracles. I will put a link right you were zoned. You that? were zoned in. There. You were zoned into golf on that on that day. Yeah. We, it's gonna be right here. Uh, Click this little button right here. Remember, remember, remember the time though we were in LA and we were in the middle of a show and you were watching baseball the entire time. <laughs> oh, that's... That was a boring show. <laughs> you guys talk too much. <laughs> no, man. Like I think we could do one on the 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 heart. I, I don't know if we did one on that specific miracle or not. <laughs> 
We did. We covered Lanciano. You were watching baseball. <laughs> it was the season when the Astros <laughs> were uh, cheating their way to the title. Oh, low blow. on a show, all right? Low blow. So, you know, hey, before we close out, a uh, couple things. Number one, um, all of our patrons, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you go to patreon.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show or Catholic Talk Show forward slash Patreon, you'll go to the same place and you'll find all the ways that you can support us. Uh, there's a lot of really cool gifts. There's hoodies, coffee cups, stickers, all kinds of cool things. We really appreciate it when you do. And we can't do the show without you. So thank you to all of our uh, patron members. Uh, it means everything to us. Also go to catholictalkshow.com. Make sure you subscribe to us there. You can enter our mailing list. You can follow us on social media like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you click that subscribe button like this video and make sure you subscribe. Uh, that way you'll be notified anytime there's a new video. It really helps us. Um, but I think the last thing that I wanted to cover though, Father Rich, is real briefly, what, are, what is the worst thing about being a priest and what is the best thing about being a priest? Mm. Tell the cross is gone. Um, they focus. <laughs> <laughs> um, the worst thing and the best thing. This is a tough inquisition question here. Well, the best thing in all honesty is being at the altar together and celebrating the Eucharist. Like that, uh -huh. that is with, that's without a doubt. It better be. That, that the source and summit of our faith, that is most certainly the best thing, being together at the altar. Um, the worst thing, though, that's a tough one. Or the hardest thing, maybe not, maybe worst. Oh, challenging is, thing? Yeah, maybe the most challenging. Yeah, I don't want to say the worst thing because that's maybe a negative framing of the question. What's the most challenging thing about being a priest? Yeah, I think, I think fundraising is tough. Like, you know, we've got, we've got like a huge debt to the diocese that we've got to cover and we're becoming a parish, which means that we're going to be taxed. And, and it's like forecasting all of that and, and trying to grow and like, you know, maintain the important things. But at the same time, we're bursting at the seams and we're growing past our capacity and I'm by myself. So I'm just like, you know, how do we, how do we build out this campus so that we can manage the amount of people that are coming here to be fed? So that, that's pretty, I think that goes right back to the apostles too. They're like, man, we got, we got 5,000 people here and how are we going to feed them? And oh, oh no, you know, exactly. They're, exactly. Like even, even the first, you know, the first pastors, those first priests, those the apostles, they've dealt with that same thing. So I don't think that's really went away. That's very, that's very consoling to put that in the context that way, because, you know, just trusting in the miraculous hand of God. And, and I've seen the miraculous hand of God come to our community so often and St. Joseph manifesting his hand in huge ways and Our Lady. So, you know, we have, we have seen some major challenges in every single, you know, my first year, Christmas, we can't have mass inside. So we build this huge tent and then the floodwaters come and then we have to, you know, <laughs> take care of the floodwaters, prep for Christmas, most beautiful Christmas ever. You know, coronavirus sets in, my first Lent and Easter is shut down and we've got to pivot and go online and come up with beautiful ways to minister to people. I mean, it, it's just been nonstop. So those have been super challenging uh, experiences, um, but I love a challenge, man. Um, so I'm You know, I always it. think priests that are coming up right now that are in your position, you know, first time pastors, young priests, it's almost like people who grew up in uh, the Great Depression, then went off and had to fight World War II. And they ended up being called the greatest generation because their formative years were 
um, so challenged. There are so many things thrown at them that they are forced to become uh, more adaptive and stronger willed and more disciplined. So hopefully the same thing is happening to the priests who are coming of age now who had to deal with the sexual abuse crisis. They had to deal with coronavirus and their churches being closed. They had to deal with uh, you know, less people coming to mass. They had to deal with all these things. So maybe, hopefully, like it did with, you know, the American generation, maybe this generation will be one of those great generations of priests because of it. I, I, I would agree with you because th that's how it's proven itself. Every historical generation that went through a challenge or a plague or, you know, some of the most impressive saints have been drawn up from the grassroots level in response to, uh, struggles within the church or tensions or evil or, you know, uh, hypocrisy or, or heresy. Um, the saints have come, you know, by, by way of God nurturing them through the negative, through the via negativa uh, to recognize and, and boldly uh, go at these challenges. And, and I definitely look at my brother priests and sisters out there that are responding. They're an inspiration, man. They're such an inspiration to me. And I love seeing what they're doing. Um, so keep that up. And I have to share wonderful news. A number of years back, we started a program called In Persona Christi. And we had like next to no seminarians in our diocese at that time. And we had a good out outpouring of people's interests. And we had a first wave of guys that radically transformed the culture of being a seminarian in the diocese of St. Augustine. But in the context of everything we have faced from the sexual abuse crisis to coronavirus just a few weeks back before the beginning of the year, we had a record number of guys that are down to earth, just regular guys open to the call of the priesthood over 41 or 43 guys attended that retreat and the largest number we've ever had. So, and a number of them are already pursuing and becoming uh, seminarians for our diocese. We're praying for the same thing in and around the, the country right now, because I think people are really seeing that, you know, there's something in the church and, and there's, you know, when there's a lack in society and there's a breakdown in society, when there's division and, and heartbreak and, and heartache, even in the church and the division in the church, you know, it's going to crop up with a, a new generation of people that are going to mend the differences and to heal the wounds. Yeah, I think it was Bishop, uh, Bishop Janke of Peoria that said uh, the time for casual Catholicism is over. And now it's really a call to heroic Catholicism because there's really no other options now. There's no real, can't really be a casual Catholic today. It just doesn't really work. You're kind of dissolving into nothing like that, and especially with the call to the priesthood. It's not just like, well, you know, every second or third son the family has just gets sent off to the priesthood because they don't have economic opportunities. I mean, men and women who join religious uh, orders and, and calls really have to want it. So really, I do pray for a great generation of, uh, of religious and priests and consecrated. Yeah, the lay, they are getting much more involved too. I remember being in the seminary many years ago and there wasn't a lot of outreach and lay ministers. And you know, there were some people with books and your Karapi and your Han, but now it's just like, I mean, just in Fuzati, like we see all these amazing people doing these amazing things. Um, and it's just, it's just starting to, you know, roll and it's good. It's a good thing, you know? Well, Father Rich, I really, you know, I, I think everyone 
who watched this is very grateful that you were able to open up, share some of the kind of realistic things that happened with the priest, some of the real struggles, some of the things that are dark, and then some of the joys and some of the levity, especially young men considering the priesthood. Uh, really watch this video. Uh, if you have questions, um, you know, the, your vocation director will, will help you. But there's some realities to being a priest that very few things can prepare you for besides the lived experience. And Father Rich, really thank you for sharing that. I think it's going to be very helpful to people to understand what their priest is going through so that they can support their priestly vocation as a lay person. And then people who are discerning can have a, maybe a more firsthand look at it. So thank you very much. And, you know, to, to everybody out there, and I really appreciate those words, Sheil. Um, you know, if you are out there and you're discerning a call to the priesthood or the religious life, just hear the words of JP2, who lived so courageously and heroically in his own generation, and think about how the challenges he faced through Nazism and communism and, you know, his whole family, you know, passing away and him being by himself, like really left an orphan. And, uh, but, you know, be not afraid. Be not afraid to be intrepid witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful call. And if you feel a stirring in the power of the spirit and God is speaking to your heart to explore it, do not hesitate. Go in haste and respond to that call. Um, you know, yeah, are there challenges? Of course. Is there darkness that you wrestle with? Is the darkness of your own personal sin something you wrestle with? Yeah. But don't you want to be in that fight? Because the victory of Christ is well worth the fight. And when you get to see him winning, when you see his victory and that you are participating in that fight, there is nothing more beautiful to be a part of. So please, please pray, my brothers and sisters. If you're married, if you're a listener or a viewer of our content, please, please pray for young people to consider the call to the priesthood and the religious life. If you're a, you know, a couple newly married and you haven't had kids yet, start having kids. Have seven, eight, nine, ten kids. Have a bunch of kids. Glorify God with your fruitfulness. And I'm sure if you are faithful before God, God is most certainly going to be faithful to you. And I'm sure he's going to bless the church with a number of young men and women to be called to the priesthood and religious life through your fruit, fruitfulness, through your faith. And uh, we need our Catholics to respond in that way, not to just send off the kids to the convent or to the diocese or anything like that, but to cultivate kids that discern God's call for their life. And we are all called to greatness. So I pray for each of you. Please pray for us. And we thank you for your support of the show. And we'll see you next week. God bless. Mm -hmm.